Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. What's up, gang? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now listen, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. Number one, people who are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world and doing both of these things despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews with game changers, business leaders, you know, telling us their origin stories, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now. Why? So it can help you step into your greatness within your life, your business, and your career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years of entrepreneurship as a CEO and founder to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation, and I'm stoked to have you here with me. Wow, wow, wow. All I can say is this is literally one of the best episodes we've ever had of The Greatness Machine. Renee Rodriguez, author of Amplify Your Influence, comes on. We talk about everything from how do you show up as a leader, how do you create that conduit for influence so that people want to pay attention to what you're talking about, whether you're doing it uh, in your job or whether you're doing it as a leader or whether you're doing it you know, and you're going out in the world and trying to create differences as an influencer. It does not matter. The way he talks about the, the, neural, the, the neurology of it, the way he talks about the, the strategy of it, it's like nothing I've ever heard. This is probably going to be the best one hour you've ever spent for free learning something that's going to blow your mind. Uh, what a pro. I, 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 he, he said it himself, it took 28 years to become an overnight success. This guy is crushing it in the world right now. Tons of momentum, but it's really about how do we create influence? And influences around taking what we what makes us unique and going and affecting change in the world with it. And he really has built a blueprint for this that just literally blew my mind. So excited. Enjoy the show. See you guys soon. Guys, welcome to today's episode of The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde. And boy, do we have a special guest. My main man, Renee Rodriguez, is in the house. What's up, Renee? How are you? Great to be here. Oh, man. <clears throat> I've been looking forward to this show since the second I saw you booked. I was like, this is going to be a badass show. So, man, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, so, listen, um, for those of you that are new to the show, we're about two things. We're about people who are living their passions and those who are creating greatness in the world and doing so despite the odds. This is a true underdog story when we when we come in and, and see people that are going against the grain to build things that are changing the world around us. And my main man, Renee, is now the short of passion or greatness. So I'm so, so pumped to have you here. Renee, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. It's an honor, honor to be here. So you don't know this, but uh, we've been swimming in similar waters for for a while. I know you're you're huge in the mortgage space amongst many spaces, but um, I've I because of my background in mortgage, having built a very large mortgage business, and now working with dozens of mortgage companies, uh, doing some consulting work behind the scenes, uh, I, you came up on my radar, and and about it was January of this year. 
you were uh, asked by a mutual friend of ours, Eddie Perez, to present at his his uh, it was his EPMX conference in Atlanta, and I saw that you actually were on the. We shared a stage. I don't know if you knew that, but you and I shared the stage. You you did a badass presentation, and then and then they asked me to teach on core values right after. So so we've actually sh- shared a stage, just whether you knew that or not. Well, now it's all, it's actually all coming back to me now because I knew, I'm remembering that now. That's awesome. I, yeah, I saw that. So I, I, I got to catch a little bit of, of your talk on the Amplify uh, work that you're doing. Unfortunately, I was on at like, and I wanted to go prepare for my talk. So I didn't get to catch too much of it. But since then, I've seen that you, you've worked with uh, huge companies like Guild Mortgage, Shayla Giffords, a mutual friend of ours, um, and, and so many others. And so I was like, and, I, and it's funny, I was talking to Shayla specifically about you right after you and I had breakfast a couple weeks ago. And I said, you know, Renee has a shit ton of momentum right now. She's like, that's exactly the word I use when I describe Renee. So you have a ton of momentum in the world, man. It's really cool to see the work you're doing. So congratulations on, on all the momentum. It's really an incredible thing to see from the outside looking in. Thank you. It's only been 28 years in the making, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's it? Adrian Brody, when he, won, when he won his Oscar, he said, yeah, you know, my dad said it takes 13 years to become an overnight success, right? So it's, it's one yeah. of these things where people are seeing the end result of a shit ton of work. But, um, I, I, you know, I'd love to, to, to kind of dive in, you know, in The Greatest Machine, we'd love to hear a little bit about people's origin stories, you know, what makes them tick, how did they get to where they're getting to, and then I'd love to, to dive into the work. Uh, before I do go there, though, you know, I, I do want to give your formal bio. Is that, is that cool if we touch on that? And yeah, we'll dive in. Absolutely. I got a little carried away. I was, I was so excited about us sharing the stage. I, 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 I got out of order. Uh, so, uh, guys, R- Renee Rodriguez, uh, badass CEO, keynote speaker. He's considered by many as the leading authority on leadership and influence. Renee is the best-selling author. We're going to be talking about his new Wall Street Journal best-selling book called Amplify. It's Amplify Your Influence. We have it right here. Uh, so you got to go out there and get the book. We're we'll talking all about that. He's a leadership advisor and transformational speaking coach. Um, the last seven, 27 years, Renee has been researching and, and applying behavioral neuroscience to solve some of the toughest challenges in leadership sales and change. So, man, so pumped to dive into that. But, man, take us back. Like, like I'd love to hear a little bit of the origin story, and, and then we can talk about the work. Yeah, absolutely. So, one, thank you. And the, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a weird mix of of uh, an eclectic. Uh, upbringing an eclectic sort of training background. So I, my, I was a basketball player my whole life. And so I played, I th- my whole dream was to be a pro basketball player. I mean, there's no possible way that's going to happen, but I dreamed it, you know, I dreamed it and I played as if, and I practiced as if, and got a chance to win a state championship in college or excuse me, in high school. And it was one of those things that, you know, I, I didn't have any success until probably my sophomore year in high school. It was one of those. I never got any playing time and finally started getting better and better. And went off to college and uh, got cut my sophomore year in college. So here I was not knowing what to do and thinking that, you know, I didn't know what else to do. I hated school, but I, I got a chance to ask a CEO one question. I said, what, what do I have to do to be in your shoes when I get older? And he looked at me and he smiled and he said, you learn how to sell. If you learn how to sell, you'll always be employed. And at 18 years old, you know, I'm just a coachable kid. I had more energy and discipline and nowhere to put it. Didn't like school. So I said, okay, I'm going to go sell. I don't really know what that means. So I get this thing in the mail that said I've been selected because of my GPA to join this fast-paced sales and marketing company in the health and wellness industry. So I said, sales and marketing. Okay, so there's my sales job. Health and wellness, I love to work out. So this is perfect. 
and I show up and it's this mass recruiting to sell cookware door to door. Now I had to get into college. I was part of a probationary program with all the other minority kids. And we had to, my first summer, I had to work as a janitor to cleaning up cigarette butts and clean toilets. And um, that was sort of our way. And I made more money that, that summer I'd ever made. It was like $937. And I had it all in once. I mean, I looked at that every day. It was like, I've never seen so many, so much money ever. And when they came out and they're doing the recruiting, the guy said his first summer, he made $9,000. Wow. And my, I'd never, the, the, to fathom $9,000 was like, What? And all I could think about was I, I, it's like basketball disappeared for me. And all I could think about was I will do what this man says. And my interview went like this. I said, I'll do what I, what you say, when you say to do it with no questions asked. And he looks at me, kind of smiles and I, you and I both know, like, imagine a kid coming up to you right now and saying that for you, you'd be like, I'm this kid, I'm going to hire him for anything. Uh, all, that's all I was. I was just a coachable kid, you know, probably because I didn't have a dad. So I, I always wanted I my daddy issues. I wanted him to approve of me, that kind of shit. But right, right. Um, either way, it served me well because uh, I was the last guy to make a sale because my mom was out of town. As soon as she came <laughs> in town, she bought the sympathy set. And, you know, it was expensive, $2,500 a set. So I, I learned how to sell a difficult idea which was a new lifestyle. Instead of spending $50 on cookware, you're going to spend $2,500. Right. That required every aspect of true sales professionalism, presentation, price building, objection handling, you name it. It had to cover everything. And so at 18 years old, I just was hooked. That first sale made, I'm like, you know, 10 presentations, I sell three. That means let me get 10 in as quickly as I can. That's all I could think about. And I'd failed so much in basketball that like rejection didn't matter. I've been rejected my whole life. Like, who, yeah. like it just like it was normal for me to be rejected. But to have an opportunity to get some feedback, like three out of ten was great. And so I just did that, became number five, United States, Canada, Mexico at 18 years old. And I was like, all right, screw basketball. They screwed me over. But sales, no one's gonna cut me if I sell. And so yeah. at my core, I'm a salesperson. That went to school, got a degree in behavioral neuroscience. I went to school for a change management consulting firm that dealt with massive scale culture change using brain research as sort of the foundation. And so I learned the training process and massive group facilitation. We were doing 55 workshops a month all over the country and creating transformations in places that, that weren't supposed to be that were hostile work environments, you know, 80% African-American lumber mill that was, uh, had the KKK was the union. And so like, it was like that kind of stuff, we'd turn it around. And wow. so the process of me being a salesperson, somebody learning about change and behavior, behavior change and working with leadership teams, all of it came to sort of a head when I started realizing, what is this all about? Sales is more than just selling. Leadership is more than just, what's the, what's the central idea here? And well, one of them was the brain and understanding the neuroscience of what's going on. But then the other side of it too was, it's, it's more than that. It's just about influence. And Maxwell said it best, there's no leadership without influence. And selling, there's no sales, sales without influence. And so to me, my passion really honed in on the art and the science of influence. Oh, I love that, man. So can I ask you two questions? Question Please. number one. Yeah, question number one. Was that cookware company called Cutco? So Cook, no, Cutco made our knives. It was Salad Master. That was actually the company that Zig Ziglar worked for for 17 years. Oh, okay. Cause I have a whole, I have a whole stick around Cutco. I call it the Cutco mafia. <laughs> so it sounds like he, that was, that was part of, yeah. Like they, uh, there's, I, I kid you not. I've had probably a dozen guests on this show that started from Cutco because 
the, for whatever reason, man, they have the, like the people that, that decide to go. And, and it comes down to this, my, my business for a business partner, I call it PSD, poor, smart and driven. Someone that's willing to get off their ass and go knock on someone's door. They don't know, or figure out a way to not have to knock on doors to sell people cutlery at a high end is someone that's, <laughs> that's poor, smart and driven because rich kids don't PSD. do that shit. You know, you know, rich kids don't do that shit. They get, they, I, I worked at the White House. I was, and I've had PSD jobs my whole life, but I worked at the White House. Those kids, that's where those kids go. They get summer internships because their mommy and daddy, you know, donated to the Clinton administration and they get to go sit in the Oval Office, you know. So, but the PSD is that, like, that's, it's, it, that's for whatever reason, I, I, it, it, it forms a lot of badasses and, and you're, you're definitely one of them. Um, did you I see that? When you're, PSD, that's good. Yeah, PSD. Oh, yeah. I think. Well, I think that. I think there's 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 a beauty there's a beauty in overcoming something and not having something. And I think, you know, the bigger the bigger piece is that, that I I don't think happiness is the goal in life at all. I think utility is, and because most of life is a struggle, most of life is 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 suffering. Most of life is hard. You know, I worked out twice already today. Both workouts sucked, but I'm so glad I did. And as I was doing it, I was so glad that I did, even though it was suffering, even it was painful, fainted almost during one of them, pushed myself through it, had to move things around just to make sure, but I'm glad I did it. You know, the things that we do, the, the knocking on doors is suffering, getting rejected is suffering, going, going and training for something is suffering, saying no to the, the crap food is suffering. Most of the things in life, most of life is suffering, but if, if you suffer for purpose, at the end, it, you become useful. And if you're useful, you can serve. And so I if that. I can be of service, now all of a sudden, there's the goal. And so we talk about being, being poor. When you don't have it, you're, you're, there's a sense of suffering that I think is critical. And, and in the beginning, I used, to try to, I used to try to shelter my kids from suffering. Now I'm like, no, 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 no. go out and go, go suffer over something. But yeah. you have to reframe suffering. It's like not suffering and agony and you're crying and there's nothing. No, 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 no. Go work hard over something that yeah. builds it i think yeah you know dalio calls that the struggle the people yearn to struggle well right mm. and 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 so it's this idea of struggling well that i think you're touching on and i love this idea of suffering for something you care about and we talk about that's living a life of purpose right and 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 you look at the greatest leaders of all time they struggled for a cause right whether we're talking about mlk or we're talking about gandhi and 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 those are obviously world-renowned examples but I love, I love what, what you're touching on here. I want to go to influence right now. First of all, the book, man, <clears throat> this is, this is no small feat. Wall street journal, bestseller, no small feat. I mean, I wrote a book, busted my ass and did not make that list. I got the Amazon bestseller, which, which I worked hard for, but, but dude, no small feat. So huge congrats there. And I think this goes back to what I was saying earlier that, you know, you got a lot of momentum, 20 year, eight years in the making, but you know, in your book, you define influence and I'd love for you to talk about this. Well, a lot of people will talk say, why even influence? And so <clears throat> the best way to understand influence is to understand its opposite. So imagine walking in a room and no one notices. You tell a joke and no one laughs. You sell a product, no one buys. <clears throat> you cast a vision and no one follows. It's a feeling of sadness, a feeling of insignificance and I say, play that out. Like literally anything you do has no impact on the world. How are you feeling? It's the beginnings of depression. It's the beginnings of wondering why I'm on this earth. What, where am I going? And so I said, okay, so what's the opposite of that? Okay, I walk in a room and people take notice. 
I tell a joke, people laugh. I sell a product, people buy. I cast a vision and people start following. Now all of a sudden, I feel like I, have, I'm, I'm, I matter. I have significance. Why? Because I'm able to create impact. And so when we think about the purpose of influence, it's, such, it's so much more than persuasion. It's about finding your mark in the world. Where do I belong? Where can I improve? Where can I impact the, the, the world around me? How can I, I do X and I see Y with the cause and effect so that like I am, I, I have significant, not I'm significant, but I have some level of significance. And if I can do that towards something that means something to me and align with my values, now it's a life of purpose. But if I see my purpose and every time I try to do it, I fail and like nobody's, nobody's even paying attention. It's one of the, I think one of the worst of the human experiences. And conversely, influence, I believe, is one of the greatest of human experiences to be able to have an impact on something. And so when we talk about impact from business, you know, apply it. That's why I say it, it applies to anybody, teachers, police, sales professionals, leaders. It's, it applies in every aspect. We all have ideas that we want to share. But if no one's acting on them, or even worse, they're not even paying attention first. Because we've got to capture attention in today's world. Then we got to get them to act on it. Those two pieces, if we can't do that, it doesn't matter. And so influence is the piece that I think every single human being needs to take that front and center as part of their toolbox to study and to hold tight. Oh, I love that, man. It's so interesting. I just thought of two different things. So first of all, you know, you made a great point, which is, I'm, oh, I'm living my calling. I'm living my purpose. I'm self-actualizing. I'm at the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I'm putting out all this content, doing this work, and no one gives a shit. It's like super deflating. I've had this example mm. ha happen to me a bit where I'm like, man, this is my best stuff. I'm like, this is 20 years in the making and no one gives a shit. And, and I never thought of it from the stance of like, oh, well, it's because you haven't figured out the influence side, which is how do I take this idea, which is, which I'm being told I'm a genius about and bring it into a distribution content where people pay attention and get, get that value. And I, I had a friend that said, that's the tragedy is if people don't learn from it, you're actually, you're taking from the world as a, an influence. I see for what, oh, what you just said totally. is that is the conduit to amplify that influence. So when you, what you're talking about, I guess, is, is some of the, you know, in the book, you refer to the three P's. Well, talk, tell us a little bit about that. So the three P's, <clears throat> to me at the core of, of influence as well, right? Because it's <clears throat> a lot of times we think of influence as an offensive strategy. What am I going to say? Like, how am I acting? What am I going to do to impose influence on you? But in reality, influence begins with the, how do you get the audience ready to do this? Is the audience even ready to hear my message? It's, and the concept is, would you plant a seed in cement? The answer is no, it makes no sense. But mm. our ideas are seeds and we plant them in cement people all the time that aren't ready to hear. They're too defensive or their interests lie somewhere else so they don't even understand what it means to them. And so they're there and just, just not ready for an idea. And so there's a whole sequence of things. I've been in so many meetings with people that, one, if they don't know who I am, or we, what I mean by it's not who am I, but they don't know who I am in the context of things. So there's no relevancy. And I will just stay silent until we find a relevant moment that it makes sense because it just doesn't make sense. And if I go out of my way to say, well, here's who I am, no, nah, that's, that's doesn't make any sense either. It doesn't help the sequence. But so the, the three Ps are predict, preempt, prevent. So if I can predict a behavior in somebody, well, I'm about to, and we do this with executives all the time. They're about to implement a change. 
you know, we're, 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 we're doing some messaging for a big meeting. Let's say they're doing layoffs. And one of them wants to tell a story about how they were laid off one time and they were okay. And I said, okay, let's play that one out. Like we said, well, I'm relating to them. I said, well, let's, let's, if, here's my prediction is that if you're telling a story of how you were laid off, I'm going, well, well they're preparing us to lay us off. Ah, okay. So if we can predict mm-hmm. the behavior, what do I have to do to pre- preempt it in order to prevent it? And usually if I predict resistance of some sort, what can I do to preempt it? And sometimes that's a reframe before it starts. Or maybe it's a switch of story. Maybe that's not the right story. Because maybe I said, okay, maybe I shouldn't do that. Okay, let's get to a higher level. What do you want people to be? Well, we want them to take ownership over their scenario. Okay, so then you as a leader, how do you display that in your opening? How do you display ownership? Well, I want people to talk about how they're feeling. Okay, great. How do you create an open environment for that? Because right now I can predict that they're not open to that. So we got to preempt that and we got to get them open. It, best way, maybe it's you begin. And maybe we choose three people that you already know are your cohorts. And you have a prior conversation. Say, hey, I need you to really open up and I want you to feel free sharing. I'm going to call on you three first. So you create a momentum of people modeling the behavior. And so then we've preempted and prevented the resistance response. And so it takes that sense of strategy into the mm-hmm. influence world of saying, how do I do this? But before I enter it, what am I walking into? How are people feeling about me? Is my credibility in a good place? Did I, do I have a, a reputation at stake here? Is this, did I do something in the past that might have hurt them? Or do they have, do they have negative history? You know, if you're dating somebody and you're saying, okay, well, maybe they have, they, they assume they were cheated on. So they're going to probably assume you're cheating too. And so, okay, how do I preempt that next time? Or, and so looking at predict, preempt, prevent is one of the basic, most important places to start when it comes to influence. I love that. It's funny that you're just talking about this idea of ego, right? When, when, when someone comes into the room and, and, and using yourself as an example that to hold back right before I be, and find that moment where I can create influence by, by holding back the ego, having some, some discipline around the ego. What are your thoughts on this is just a kind of off the wall question. I had an experience four years ago. I actually did a podcast on this where I was in a room. I got invited to hang out with Elon Musk and it was me Elon Musk, his brother, the uh, Christopher Nolan's brother, this guy, Jonah Nolan, his wife, they're the creators of Westworld, and my friend who was the agent for the Westworld couple. And, and I'm sitting there, and my ego is just like stabbing me, like the whole time. <laughs> because how do you, like, it was like, how do you introduce yourself in a circle like that? How do you, what do you talk about? They know you know who they are. And so you just had me thinking about that right now with what you said. Like, what are your thoughts if someone's, if you're in an environment where you're, you're, you're rubbing shoulders with some, some people that are influential and they know who you know who they are? And like, how would you, like using some of this, this formula, you know, your Amplify formula, some of these ideas around influence, how would you approach a situation like that? You know, when we think about like celebrities and how to deal with them, so I have I have some certain rules. One is like, I'll, I'll never really go up to a celebrity in a in a uh, environment that's up, up in the open, unless there's somebody that I really admire, and I'll begin with what I admire. And so let's say, but it sounds like if you were in a closed room with them, so just by definition, you've been pre-selected as somebody as a peer, right? Now, if you're right. if that room was let's say 300 people, then you're not a peer; you're a fan, right? At that point, but if you're in yeah. a small room of people with that with that group then you have to accept the reality that you are now guilty by association through the concept called pre-selection. Pre-selection is an old anthropological term. And it's like somebody who sees somebody with, you know, an attractive female, then all the other attractive females 
see the male differently because, well, she's a high valued female. She selected him. There must be something high value about him. It works in networking too. Mm. And so to me, it's like, okay, so <clears throat> how do I engage in a conversation like that? One, I, you read the room. What are they talking about? Are they, is there, do they even want to? If it was Elon Musk, the first thing that most authentically comes to me, I said, you know, Mr. Musk I, I, Musk, I have to ask you a question. I use your example all the time. One of the things I admire about you is that you don't rush your answers. You actually take time to think. Is that something that you're consciously doing? Did you learn that somewhere? Because I think so many leaders today just spout about the mouth. They don't think. What are your thoughts on that? And so I might challenge them with something like that because that would be, that would be the question I would want to ask is I see him. He just sits there and he thinks before he answers. And it's so powerful how he does it. But that's how I begin that conversation, you know. And so, I, it, but I look at the scenario that I'm in. Am I in a, a peer environment? Because if I'm not meeting somebody as a peer, I don't want to meet him as a fan because I already know that that sales process, that sales cycle is a long one. And they've already bucketed me into that. So I refuse to jump into that category. So I, I give you an example. I, I, I met Ed Milet. We, were, we spoke at an event together recently. And of course, everybody wants to talk to him. And he did, man, he killed the event. He just brought down the house. It was so powerful. And so I'm going, okay, I'd like to connect with him because we've got some mutual friends. And they were like, you really got to connect with Ed. So, I mean, that's great. He doesn't know that, right? I know that, but he doesn't. So he walks in and everyone's crowding around him. I don't. Just let him have a space. Let everybody else ask the questions. I watch and observe. And that after about an hour and a half back, you know, behind stage, He's backstage and he's talking to one or two people, one of the hosts of the event. And I'm like, you know what? I, I grab my book and I walk over. Now, where's our connection? We're both published by the same author. And, or excuse me, published by the same uh, publisher, both Wiley. And so I walk up to him and I said, you scared the shit out of me. And I smiled at him. He goes, why is that? I go, and he goes, oh, you're published Wiley too because I'm holding my book. I said, yeah, I thought you were coming out the same week I was. I said, you're the week after me. So uh, <laughs> you scared me. I said, I knew I still got number two, but I wasn't even going to be close if you were there because he took number one on everything. He goes, oh, man. He goes, yeah, we couldn't even get New York Times. You know, he went through this whole thing. And now we started this conversation as a peer. And so to me, it was finding that that place of where was where was the peer conversation. That's a concept we call ethos, right? Your credibility yeah. and your character. And how do I approach that as a peer environment? And also I make sure that it was a short conversation. I didn't want it to be long because I know that everybody is pulling on his time. And then I responded, I said, hey, I go, I got two friends. Ben Newman's a good friend of, a friend of yours. I said, I've just recently gotten to meet him. I mean, he's blown my mind. He said that you and I should connect. You probably get a lot of these. Um, uh, would you like me to mail this to you? Or do you want to take it with you? He goes, oh, this is awesome. He goes, I'd love to have it. Would you mind mailing it to me? And, yeah. and I said, great, I'll get the info from Ben. And he's good. Hey, pleasure meeting you. Good luck out there. And it was out. It was only just, you know, probably three minute conversation, four minutes. Um, and then, but to me, that was the, the respectful way of doing it, but also a way of saying, I'm not, I'm not just a fan. Yeah, man. I, I literally, you just answered a four year long question for me. And I've asked multiple people this. I said, what happens when you walk into a room where everyone knows, you know, who they are and you're brought in as a peer and everyone gives me these bullshit answers. And I was like, I'm not doing that. Or they have something where that's like almost like, 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 well, I always ask famous people this one question. I'm like, no, that's not authentic. That's not who I am as a human being. But literally the way you just framed that was so perfect. I, I, I literally, you answered a four year long question for me. Thank you so much. Cool. <laughs> um, awesome. So, so you are touching on, uh, in your book, you talk about this Aristotle's rhetorical triangle. 
of logos, pathos, and ethos. Like, why do you, why do you think people need to understand these to gain maximum influence? Talk a little bit about what these are and, and how we use them. So, two two thousand years ago, Aristotle was the first person to talk about argumentative thought, and I, to me, you know, there's an, you know, I said at the core, I'm a salesperson, even deeper to core, I'm a philosopher. And the reason I'm like, I'm constantly thinking about these ideas. I'm constantly running scenarios. I'm constantly looking at asking myself, am I doing this? Is this the right thing? And, you know, going through all the stuff, my schooling, you know, jaded me in a good way, I guess. But he was the first person to talk about argumentative thought. And he said that he's got this thing called the rhetorical triangle, which is really like a three-legged stool that if you want to be persuasive and create an argument, not to be argumentative, but to create an argument for something, a case, if you will, you have to have these three things. And the first one was ethos. Ethos is your credibility. It's your character. It's the best way to understand ethos is its opposite. It's go like if I were to do a course on how to grow rich and thick hair, nobody would show up. Right? If you don't, if you're listening to this, I don't have any hair. I'm bald. Or you know, if I were to do a course on the menstrual cycle and the challenges that women go through and women look at me like, what, what are you, why are you talking about this? Well, like I've never had a menstrual cycle, so I should probably not be talking about it. It's the out of shape trainer telling you how to lose weight. It's the person who's broke telling you how to lose, how to make money. They don't have any ethos. And so, I assess everything through, do I have the ethos to talk about it? Do, does the person giving me advice have the ethos to talk about it? And I can sense false ethos, right? Like, you know, the social media coach that has 230 followers and they can't get, get their videos to him, but they're going to show me how to do it. And I was right. telling him, I said, before you advise me, get more followers than me, get a better engagement than me, and then I'm going to listen. <clears throat> it's not because of an ego, by the way. It's my standard. If I haven't done something, I'm not going to consult you on it. Just not. It's not ethical. And you may have ideas. Well, I know how it works. Well, clearly you don't. Just I know how to post things too. I've heard ideas of hooks. That doesn't mean I understand a hook. There's people who understand hooks and people that talk about hooks. It's a very big difference. And so there's an ethos play. And you can buy some false ethos. I mean, like having a follower. Like we started a new program, and in two weeks we got one video that hit 2.3 million. Another one hit 670 thousand videos. Another one's 100 and some thousand. So we're starting to hit. And I'm getting everybody asking me, Renee, can you coach me on social media? And I'm like, no, I'm still new. Now, I've been, I've been trying this for five years. So I can tell you I'm probably more qualified than these social media coaches because I've tried so many and I've spent so much money on these videos. And then we finally found a formula that works and a team that works. But I'm not going to do it yet. So give me, a, give me some time on this because I want to develop my ethos in there. And so the, that's what ethos is. And so a doctor tells you to lose weight. You might listen to a doctor because they have ethos, but you might say, uh, okay, doc, thank you. I'll start next week. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there, friends. It's Darius Mishazda here, and I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now. And let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. They stop me from fully enjoying the little things in life, from canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of the sneezing fits. Allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose, itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user for many, many years now. And let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin clear. 
Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear, uses directed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and Supply and Demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through, but then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. Well, why not start now? Because a lot of doctors don't have pathos, which would be the emotional connection, the emotional appeal. They didn't emotionally connect to you. There's no passion behind it. And so in a presentation, you might have ethos. You carry yourself well and everything, but you are very boring. Dr. So-and-so that's going to talk about it. There's no pathos in the presentation. There's no storytelling. There's no oratory. I didn't, I didn't capture what's going on. You're not painting a picture with your words. You didn't trigger any emotion. So pathos is really what drives behavior. And the last one is logos, which is the logical appeal. It's got to make logical sense. If I don't, I'm, I'm, you might have ethos and, and pathos where I'm, I, I trust you and I can't wait to act, but you don't have a plan. Well, I always say exactly, imagine getting, telling kids about Disney World for the first time. Imagine this magical kingdom where all your favorite characters come to life and these roller coasters that are bigger than anything you've seen and candy and everything. And they're like, oh my God, yes, let's go. Where is it? And I'm like, I, I don't know when, or I don't even know where it is. The kids are like, Ugh. It's in my brain. What? Yeah. Like just just a just a buzzkill because there was no logos. There's no plan. There's no logic behind it. You know, you see logos a lot in, in sorry, network marketers, if you're listening, in network marketing. Where, you know, you might get somebody who's a doctor, quote unquote, you know, a chiropractor, doctor, whatever it is, and they they endorse a product that is you have to drink this juice from a river in Africa. With you know, it's sourced by but it's it's hidden ingredients, the proprietary blend. So if I drink this juice, then I'll magically get X. What? I'm not sure I'm understanding. Like it's like there's this question for me. It's got to be logical. Now, if you can make it a logical sense in your doctor and it's there, I'll follow. But it's, you got to have all three. So any stool with it, without one of the legs starts to fall over, and so that's the concept between two. Now there's there's a hidden two, 
that he talks that he doesn't that most people don't even even know exist. It's Kairos and Telos. Okay. Kairos is comes from the Greek uh, from the word chronology. Right. It's about timeliness of a message. Mm. And there's there's an era that we're in, what we call zeitgeist. You know, so right now we're in a very, very interesting era where our words really matter. Yeah, I mean, 15 years ago, I did a talk and I, and I was in a plane crash, a small one, and but it was still a crash. And I said, and the and the the stewardess came running up down the aisle. She was bleeding from the face, and I had to calm her down. And this great story, and these two young ladies came up to me afterwards. Renee is one of the greatest talks I've ever heard. But you lost us at stewardess. We're flight attendants, and they turned around oh. and ran off. Yeah. Oh. And at first, I'm like, oh, is that all they got out of it? But then I thought, hold on a second. No, I didn't. I didn't grow with the times. Yeah. I wasn't up to speed with Kairos. And so right now, whether you believe or agree, it doesn't matter. You're speaking and influencing into an audience, and you have to understand their words, their language, and the, and the, the triggers that that might pull, the emotional triggers that that might, that might um, trigger, if you will. And so we have to understand Kairos. And then, of course, Telos is literal Greek for end. It's the purpose of your talk. If you're not clear on your Telos, where you're going, you begin to ramble. And so it's like if you say, hey, walk. Okay, you practice where? What if I just say walk? It's like people saying, well, I'm going to speak. Okay, about what and for what purpose? Most people don't even ask for what purpose. They just speak and tell stories. And they go up there and they don't know where they're going. And it's such a common thing that happens. And then people lose sight of it. And they begin to ramble and their brain goes, oh God, I don't know where I'm going. Well, let me keep making noise with my mouth until I figure it out. And they go, shoot, people are, I'm rambling. I don't know where I'm going. Well, buy yourself more time, ramble some more. And you got to have those if you want to stay in touch. So ethos, logos, pathos, kairos. I love it, man. Um, oh, we lose your And telos. No, I, I, I hit the button accidentally. Oh. <laughs> Um, so, so let me ask you a question. I mean, this obviously for a, a person, you spent a couple decades working on this and honing your craft and, and really studying, you know, both historically, how do you create influence and then neurologically, how you create influence. And, and for someone like myself who, you know, I'm a trained leader, I'm a conscious capitalist, trained conscious leader. A lot of this stuff would resonate for me, but even I'm sitting here thinking, man, what do I do with all this? How do I apply this? Because this seems like a lot just at, from a philosophical standpoint, but I'm assuming that you've also figured out a way of how do I take this to, to market, if you will, so that leaders can apply this, salespeople can apply this, anyone that wants to create influence can apply this in a meaningful way. Walk us through like how you've done that through the work that you're doing right now. When you say, okay, can I ask you to expand on apply in a meaningful way? Because I want to make sure I answer that because I love your question, but I want to make sure I'm getting that one. Yeah, it's, you know, look, someone's listening to the show, we're, what, 33 minutes into this show, and they're like, man, this guy's blowing my mind, but this just seems like, how do I even use this? I get the, how he might use it, because he's trying to get 2.3 million views on one of his, his you know, his videos on TikTok or, or Instagram, and and I get how an influencer or a speaker might be able to really take this, but most most people aren't speakers and influencers. Most people are leaders in a business, or most people have a job where they're trying to get promoted, or they're just trying to have a more intentional life. And and so let's say I'm a student that reads your book that says, man, this is cool. How do I, like, first of all, I guess go get the book, right? But, but, but to putting that aside, when you start to think of how can you distill all these different pieces of information into the formula, how have you, how have you decided that you can help people with this information? 
Got it. So I think that one, what we've talked about so far are the, the surrounding theories and aspects and concepts that are critical to understand how we're talking about influence. And those are pieces that help you in, in our instrumental, because I can teach you the sequence, frame, message, tie down, frame something, deliver the message, and then tie it down. But there's so much more to it than just those pieces for true mastery. And so the application comes in what we call the Amplify Formula. And the Amplify Formula is three steps. It's, it's setting the frame, right? It's making sure that people frame up the idea and then delivering a message. So framing is basically, if you think about frames, frames are constructs of reality. It helps, frames are the filters by which we understand the world around us. And so, for example, if I were to say this profession, tell me what word comes to mind, used car salesman. Uh, scummy. Scummy, right? And so I've asked that thousands of people and it's always scummy, sleazy, whatever it is. So what you did is you pulled from your past experience or your past frame of reference and you bring that to the current to construct this scummy sleaze bag in front of you as a used car salesman. And so that would be speaking out of sequence because it's not how the brain works. And so we want to speak in, in how the brain works. And the brain needs a frame first to understand the, the, the stuff in front of us. And so if I don't provide you a frame, your brain will provide one for me. Mm. And so if you think about that from that. And that feeling you just had right there, right? Did you go cold a little bit? Like what happened to Renee? And if you're listening to this, why was that pause? Uh, that don't, oh, make sure yeah, you don't yeah. edit it out. No, no. Was that intentional? It was totally intentional. Oh man, so, I was like, I was like, it's not on my side. What's up, Renee? So wait, so you froze it. We lost you for two seconds. I just stopped talking. I was still blinking. Oh, oh, it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so, but look at what your brain did, right? So that the a pause in that narrative creates stress, and your brain doesn't like stress, and so it has to alleviate the stress through assumption. And that's an okay. assumption, and, and it's pulling a frame to help understand it. It's also pulling a narrative at that point, right? Like, okay, is it on my, oh, it must be on my end. There must be a technical glitch. There's an assumption. Nope, I just paused, right. right? And so, and I gave you a clue by blinking, right? But still, it was like, it didn't make any sense because it had no frame of reference there, right? I was so and, confused while you were blinking. <laughs> my brain exploded, man. <laughs> So, <laughs> I saw you blink. It, that was that was the moment where I was like, "What the fuck is going on?" <laughs> <laughs> so, but let's start, let's drive the lesson from that. That's a narrative gap, right? And we can talk about narrative gaps in you know in a little bit. But you're, I, I always do that to show people how the brain works. Is that it didn't like that moment. It didn't like it. If you're listening to this, you're like, "Well, what happened?" And if you were listening, maybe you weren't paying attention and you started to pay attention because nothing was happening. But the brain doesn't like that gap of information, so it has to race to fill it. And the question is, what is it filling it with? And I don't like the crap shoot of waiting for my audience to fill the gaps of the missing frames that I didn't provide. And so what we talk about is making sure that you frame everything that you're talking about first. So what I just use is what I would call a gestalt frame. I create an experience to talk about a theory. I bring it to life. And so I, I spend... I collect gestalt framing exercises like I would collect Michael Jordan rookies. More valuable than a Michael Jordan rookie to me. Just that little exercise. Just to, because now you won't question me. 
because I gave you the experience of it. I didn't just theoretically talk. Oh, yeah, it's interesting. I can conceptualize. No, you felt it. Mm. And if you're listening to it, you felt it. And so I use that as a frame to then deliver a message, which would be our brains don't like missing frames. And if we don't Mm. provide one, your brain will provide one for you. And the last step would be the tie down. And what that means to you is, is if you speak without a frame, you're leaving your message interpretation to chance. And that's not a good thing to do in leadership. And that's not a good thing to do in sales. Because most people will pull from something that doesn't serve you. It serves Mm. to protect them. And if they've had a negative experience with this in the past, they're going to pull from that negative experience. They're going to pull it from what we call negativity bias. We are, right. we are designed to be negative for purposes of survival, not because right. we're pessimists. And so it's normal. You wake in caveman days, you wake up in the morning, you don't stretch. Oh, what a good night's sleep. Oh, man, look at the birds chirping. No, no, you wake up, you go, are there any bears, tigers, lions? Right? My kid's still there? Good. Did they take my food? You look around, you listen. You're looking for the negative, not because he's right. a pessimist. He wants to survive. Some, some some crackle, you know, twigs breaks. You look over here. You don't go, oh, twig broke. Must have been some natural cause. No, what in the hell was that? And will it right. kill me? So we still have negativity bias. That's why the media is having a heyday with any negative information. Politicians and politics, heyday with negative information, constantly doing it. And so why? Because it captures attention. And if you can capture attention, you can deliver a message. So that's, if you think about, I mean, there's so many application pieces, but they have to understand framing, delivering strong messages, and tying it down, which answers the question of what this means to you is. It's ensuring that the message is understood to the specific value need of the listener. Oh, man. I love, I, you do this. First of all, you're blowing my mind. Number one. Number two, your timing and my timing are like in sync. Because my next question was, how do you feel about leveraging one's values in your work around influencing others? And, and we segued right into that. And, and how can someone more effectively do that? I'm a core value evangelist. If I'm tying it together with, from a values perspective, what value do they get? How does that align to their values? But if people are, are approaching the influence or if they're approaching decision-making or persuasion or persuading their people they lead or trying to be persuading someone who's leading them, how can they leverage values to do that in a more effective way? So we, we do an exercise when in the, in our workshop where, so I'll bring somebody up on stage and I'll say, and before I was like, who are you? What do you do? What makes you unique? And now I just say, I haven't set you up for failure. I'm asking three questions. They laugh. I'm like, who are you? What do you do? What makes you unique? And they go, uh, uh, my name is so-and-so and I do this. And what makes me unique is this. And I'm like, great. How do you feel about that answer? Was that like an amazing answer? And they're like, no, it sucked. I'm like, yeah. I said, good. So be honest with it. It sucked. It was okay. It was, it was, it's not going to help you. I said, so let's change that. Let me ask you a different question. What makes you unique? And I draw a little mind map. I just put the word unique and I draw a circle around it. I said, give me three to five things. Like, for example, Darius, what makes you unique? Give me three words. Uh, funny, core values, pizza. <laughs> uh, but, 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 but no, but like what makes you unique? And so, because you've done the work, so actually, it, actually, you wouldn't be a good example because you've done this. You're, you're a pro at this. So I, I would ask somebody that question. I'm going to use a fictitious person. What actually one I did yesterday, and it came back at service, caring, and what was the next one? It was around creativity. And I said, okay. I said, now let me ask you the next question. 
I said, do these three things represent your core values in some way? And they look at them, they go, yeah, they do. I said, I've done core values work for 28 years. I have spent days, weeks, months helping people uncover their values. And if you ask somebody what their values are, they either look at you deer in the headlights or they, they go, oh my God, how long did it take? I said, what I came to find out, if I ask you what makes you unique, I get those words in seconds. Yeah. And the reason I get them is because the end result, we want to live our values and we live them through our uniqueness. And uniqueness really is also it's a semantic way of getting at what we're proud of and who we, how we want to be seen. We want to be seen and identified through our values. And so it's a, sort of a backdoor hack to get at the values. And I say, okay, so now, if those are your values, the science says that those are formed between the ages of nine and 13. Mm. And so I then ask the question and, and, and then solidify by age 21. And I say, so let's, and I go, which of those three speaks to your heart? And he goes, creative. Now this is a war vet, by the way. And he said, creative. I said, great. I said, so who, the two questions I asked, who was around and what happened between ages nine to 13 around the word creative? But I'm looking for one of two stories, either a lighthouse story that someone was a beacon of light of creativity. Like, man, they were just that and you wanted to follow them. They were that beacon of light. Or we look for the foghorn, the warning sign. Mm. You needed creativity and you didn't get it. And he looks at me and he smiles. He goes, just points and he goes, foghorn. I said, great. He goes, my, my adoptive parents. I said, tell us about your adoptive parents. He said, well, unfortunately, I, you know, I didn't have very good parents. They were, had a father who was abusive, went through this whole thing. And, and so, but I found that if I was just creative, I could fill in all the gaps of what they didn't need, or they, they didn't provide me. I could go out there and I could talk to my, my friends, my best friend's parents, and he could be the father figure I needed. And I can get the consoling and, and, and nurturing from you know, another friend's mother who, who loved to cook. And you know, she would do that. They'd always invite me over. If I was creative, I could always find the solutions I needed that they weren't ready to provide. And I smiled at him and I said, okay. And so I said, and you said you picked a service too and caring. He said, yeah. I said, I'm going to take a wild guess. Is that your current business right now, you love to be creative. And it's really not just creative, resourceful with them. And he smiles, yeah, resourceful in servicing. And he said, going above and beyond, going above and beyond for your clients and caring about them in a way that you never had. Is that right? And he just, he gets a tear in his eye and goes, that's exactly it. I said, now, watch this. I said, tell me, you know, we, we went through the process and, and I said, somebody asks you, who are you? What do you do? What makes you unique? You don't say your name. You don't answer those three questions anymore. You start with this, with the story, the frame. You know, unfortunately, I, 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 was, I was adopted as a child. And, you know, so there's great adoption stories and there's some tragic ones. That's probably on more of the tragic side. I had two parents that really didn't want me there. They were focused on a different child. And, and as difficult as that was, what I found was the missing pieces that they didn't give me, if I was just creative and I took responsibility and was resourceful, I could find the solutions and the pieces that they didn't have for me. And so I got it from my friend's parents. I got it from coaches in sports. And then ultimately I found it in the military. I went to military at a young age and I realized that my happiness came through service. And in the military, going above and beyond the call of duty was seen as the greatest thing that you could do. And so to me, the things that I learned were to be really creative in my approaches to things, to take ownership over what happened and always go above and beyond. And so when I decided to become a real estate agent, I realized that I could take those same values that I had in the military that were formed from some of the difficult pieces and bring them to an industry that needed people to be resourceful and creative. Mm. 
and to always go above and beyond in an industry that nobody went above and beyond. They did the minimum to get by. But I could stand out and create a very unique business and create amazing relationships by going above and beyond the call of duty, if you will, in the service environment. And so that's what makes me unique. And so now we turned his personal values by uncovering his origin story between the ages of 9 and 13 to change the sequence to start from a frame first to then work our way out of that. And so that's the Amplify formula. That's what we outline in the book. That's what our course teaches. And that's um, sort of the, the life's discovery of the process. I love that so much, man, because what I just heard, you know, just while listening to that, first and foremost, I, you know, what I, what I, when I was my former business, you know, I, I grew a pretty sizable business. And I used to teach core purpose to the, because we had a core purpose at our company and we were a mortgage lender and servicer, big mortgage lender and servicer, hundreds of thousands of loans we serviced. And I, I used to ask people, I'd say, when you were tech, this first day of their job, I would teach their onboarding for 20, 25 employees. And I'd say, when you were 10 years old, what do you want to be? And, and they'd say baseball player, soccer player, teacher, doctor, you know, actor, actress, you know, and I'd say, I noticed none of you said you want to be in the mortgage business. And they'd all laugh. I get a quick laugh out of it. And what I find is that most people don't get to end up in those sexy businesses, but they could still live a life of purpose to your point, which is this person, when you, the way you frame that story, that story, the way he, you frame that story for that gentleman that, that w went from this really tough upbringing to going to the military and what that meant to him. What I heard there was the values told the story, but it were a tool that could be used to foundationally amplify for lack of a better word, the truth of why he's doing what he's doing now. Cause if had, he just said to me, like I listened to the whole thing and I said, he just told me I'm a realtor. I would have been like, I, he would have the same experience. I had the first 15 years of my, my uh, experience as an, in the mortgage industry, which was, eyes glaze over, no one gives a fuck, move on, right? But it's that story, yeah. to your point, that framing of the story that makes such the difference in like your work, man. I mean, this is, you know, I've gotten, I got to spend a little bit of time with you with Isaac Stegman for breakfast and got to really hear some of your work. And, and I've heard you talk a little bit, but man, this is some really powerful stuff in today's age, because to your point, words matter so much right now, people. And I think that we're, we're reaching a renaissance right now where people are trying to reconnect with authenticity. Yeah. How do you, I guess my question for you, and you know, we're, we're running out of time here. So I want to end on this question is what are your thoughts on, you know, there's so much noise out there in the world, whether you're talking about social media or traditional media and people are fronting and trying to fake and trying to pretend like there's something, and then they're bringing it into the workplace too. And so I believe that there's this moment in time. We have a moment in time right now. We're at this crossroad where you can either choose to give into the bullshit or you can choose to be more authentic. And, and, and so I'd love to hear your thoughts on this and how you, you believe your work can help make that come to life in a more meaningful way. Yeah. I appreciate the question. I think how do we be more authentic in a world that is almost rewarding in authenticity, right? Totally. It's, it's, totally. it's hard because, and I fight that battle every day in, you know, we, our businesses depend on attention. And our value proposition needs to capture attention in a very noisy world, in a world that, that has a battle for our attention. Billions and billions are being spent to capture a swipe, a like, anything. And what I tell people is authenticity requires no preparation. So let's remember that. Well, I had to prepare to be authentic or just speak for, on exactly what you're feeling. And so then there's that side of it. 
<clears throat> is the permission side because it takes courage to be authentic, truly authentic. Because usually sometimes authenticity is, is vulnerable. Mm. And the true superpower in all of this is vulnerability. But it's also the scariest thing to do. We live in such a you-go-first society. We want people to be vulnerable, but you, you, you go first. Uh, I want people to, 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 to lead by example, take ownership, but why don't you take ownership first? And the true leader is the one that doesn't do that. And you watch in, in the groups that the moment one person decides to tell the vulnerable story, the whole audience just fucking, oh, like the burden is, okay, we can actually share this now. Yeah. The world wants it. The world wants more meaning and more connection. And we are the media. That means if you don't like what you're seeing in the media, that means you're consuming it. Mm. I mean, somehow you're consuming it because we create this monster through our attention. You don't like something, then starve it. Starve it of your attention. And that takes massive discipline because they're triggering on every biological and neurological trigger we have to be able to capture that. But you got to fight. you got to be stronger than that. And being authentic now, first, courage to be authentic. Then second, strategy, sequencing. Like I had to learn that, that you can't just post authentic things on social media and expect people to pay attention. There's a formula to it. There is a formula. And when I kept hearing the formula, I hated it. I rebelled against it because it didn't feel authentic, felt manufactured. And then I started questioning and I went to them and I said, I want to find a way to do this authentically and ethically. I don't want to get clickbait. I don't want to do these things. I want to do something that's from the heart. I'd rather take a three to five year approach than to try to do this overnight. And the good news is I found some good people that, that loved that, believed in the work, and, and they were smart on how to do it. And we were able to find that formula that still stays authentic to my message. Yeah. But I think that still we need to continue the innovation process in how do we do that. We have to innovate within authenticity. How do I capture your attention so that you can actually pay attention to what's going on? And the funniest thing, my favorite uh, posts that I make are the ones that get the least play, the ones that are the deepest and the ones that I think are the most profound, and the ones that get the least play. Mm. And that's the challenge in today's world, that people want something very simple and easily digestible and snackable. And we're, you even watch kids' shows. They're editing the space on kids' shows. So it's constant words moving because they don't, they don't, the kids can't handle a pause. And I think these TV shows are destroying the attention spans of our kids. It's just crazy. The same way you'd edit a video to move over the dead space, they're doing it on TV now? It's horrible, but wow. you know what? I also sound like my parents sometimes, so I got to understand what that means. How do I innovate within it? How do I how do I play ball in an ethical way within it? And so, authenticity should not be negotiable. It doesn't take preparation; it just takes courage. Man, uh, what a great show! <laughs> Like Thanks, you, like this is this. I, 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 whenever I have super high expectations for a show, and then of course, most of the time, the people are so amazing, like yourself, that it, they get exceeded. You just exceeded my expectations, and this was such a treat to spend time with you. I'm looking forward to getting to know you more as time goes on, and I'm so thankful to, to have gotten to get to spend this time with you. So, thank you so much, man, for for sharing your feelings mutual, man. And, thank you. Yeah, this is really cool. And uh, I love guys, the work you're doing with values, by the way. I love what you're doing with values because, you know, taking it to an organization and rolling it out the way you do is so unique and so needed, man. So it's a, the honor is mine as well. Thank you. Oh, guys, thank you. Mutual love going on here. Amplify your influence. 
Renee Rodriguez. Uh, where can they find you? Where can they hit you up? There's, you're all over the place. So just g- give them the rigmarole of where they can hook up with you. And um, we will uh, promote the hell out of this thing. Yeah, meetrene.com is probably the best one. M-E-E-T, and not M-E-A-T, M-E-E-T, Renee, R-E-N-E.com. I don't know where M-E-A-T will take you. <laughs> um, and then social, you have some really cool social. Uh, is it uh, where, where can they get hooked up with on social? C, C Renee Speak on, on Instagram is the best one. All my socials are C Renee Speak, S-E-E, Renee, R-E-N-E, Speak. Guys, you heard it here. Go check out Renee. Go check, if you get the chance, and I've had a lot of friends that have done a lot of work with you they're like you're blowing people's minds left and right so we have a lot of ceos entrepreneurs and business people that listen to the show you need to go check out renee's stuff and if you get the opportunity go do the work with him on amplify i'm so excited for the work you're doing my friend um thank you you i appreciate it guys peace out we love you talk until next time You are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Listen, if you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. We have tons of great people coming on, and we're we're stoked to have you here to enjoy it with us. Leave us a review. Tell us what you love most about this particular episode. We love getting the reviews. We love to see what you guys love most. And if this particular episode, you know, made you think of someone who's leveling up in their business and in their life, print screen, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to support and grow with each other. And in case you want to see some of the fun behind the scenes shots or some of the things that we're doing, I'm actually writing about this in my weekly newsletter. Go to www.therealdarius.com and subscribe to my newsletter. We're talking about fun things like business and life and mindfulness and cryptocurrencies and gosh, I don't even know everything and anything, but it's tons of fun stuff I write about. I try to get it out on a weekly basis. You can subscribe at www.therealdarius.com. And with that said, look, thank you guys so much. I appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We're out of here. See you guys on the next one. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.